along with Well, everyone, our guest, Don Paul, a master shamanic healer of the Inca tradition and a graduate of Alberto Valero's Healing the Light Body Program. Don also utilizes other healing methods such as uh, spirit release, theta healing, EFT, and life coaching and spiritual teaching. She is based in Herefordshire in the United Kingdom, but works worldwide over the phone. So distance is not a problem. You are now listening to the Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz. Dawn says that shamanic healing and soul retrieval can be of great assistance in the transformation process for us, helping us to fly our unique colors blazing in the sun. And she says all shamanic work is non-local, which means that the healing occurs in another dimension. So it makes no difference whether the healing work is done in person right in front of her or in Australia. Um, Also, it's not necessary for the person to know what needs to have to be done before and during the session. Yay! (laughs) As Dawn utilizes various divination methods, which allows the person's mind and body to tell her exactly what's needed to help the person to move forward. Well, Dawn says we all come into this world as a radiant, magnificent being, and our lives are intended to be full of wonder, joy, laughter, and love. We know who we are and why we are here, simply to become a brighter and more radiant. But often, along the way, something happens to us, and we feel impelled to start hiding our true selves as traumas throughout child or adulthood are experienced. As you can imagine, this is created as a protection. However, with Dawn's assistance, one's False identity and false beliefs can be released, allowing for a new world to emerge from them. This is such a wonderful thing to be able to do, Don. Thank you. You have such an exciting career, and we are so uh, grateful to have you with us today. So, well, thank you for inviting me. It's a great pleasure. When did this shamanic journey start for you? Um. I would say, I suppose, late 30s, but looking back, I think it started at, well, much further back, you know, then I could say birth, and then I could say past lives, because it was made very clear to me that I'd done this work before, so it's hard, you know, it's really hard to to sort of say when exactly, Um, but I suppose I... I, um, I started off my journey, my spiritual journey, when I was very young, about 16, and I found um, shamanism quite a long way down the line and had a massive, it was actually Native American Indian um, shamanism, and I absolutely loved it, and I had huge experiences um, during the course. And then I had a spiritual teacher at the time who said, no, no, that's not your path. And he made out that he knew what it was, and I and I suppose I was too young and stupid, really, to kind of listen to my own self and uh, well, listen to him, I suppose, and not listen to myself. And um, so I went on, you know, a huge search. I mean, many, many years, decades, and um, trying to find something that that felt as good and and as right, and I just 
couldn't find anything, nothing touched it for me. And it was like having a relentless finger prodding me in the back. You know, it's like, go on, go on, keep looking, keep looking. And I just couldn't find it. And and in the end, as you've probably seen from the book and uh, my website, I just had to give up. I didn't have any choice. I was completely exhausted. I had a very responsible job in uh, finance. And um, but it, I was deeply, deeply unhappy, even though I was earning a very good salary. And so my cat's just upside down, looking at me. It's really off-putting. And um, I, I ended up just giving up. I just said to God, you know, I really cannot do this anymore. I don't know what it is. I can't spend any more money, read any more books, do any more, more research or any more courses. I'm going on holiday, and, and that's it. And I went off to um, Peru, oddly. And uh, and while I was there I, at Machu Picchu, I had uh, a vision and absolutely got told what to do. So, um, and I've been, you know, I've been looking at it for it for so many years. It was just absolutely what I needed, although it was quite a scary experience at the time. Wow. What happened to you in Peru? Uh, well, I'd gone to Machu Picchu. I'd wanted to go there for many years, and um, I'd found that we had a tour guide who wasn't actually letting us go down to the main part. She was keeping us at the top with her stories of childhood. I mean, she's a lovely lady, but I mean, I was so desperate to get down amongst the ruins, and I kind of backed away um, down sort of the, the grassy. Um, verges there and disappeared from the group and ran gleefully down to the the ruins that were sort of golden in the morning sun and um, just really wanted to be with the energies of the place and and find a quiet place and it's actually a very busy place there's lots and lots of tourists there so I found a nice place to just sort of sit and contemplate the energies and a security guard found me and moved me on and this happened about three or four times and I just couldn't find any peace anywhere so in the end I thought well I I really need to try and you know find out some more information about this place so I saw that there was a group at the highest point at uh, Machu Picchu where the Intihuatana stone is and so I made the climb up there and there was a talk going on and it was really interesting but after two minutes it ended and I was absolutely gutted I was so disappointed and it was a very small enclosed space and the tour guide just said you know that you know thank you ladies and gentlemen if you'd like to make your way this way now down the steps and be very careful because they're slippy so I'd been the sort of the last one person up there and so I've waited for everybody to file out and thanked the guide and was looking at the stairs that were really ancient and slippy and crumbly so I was concentrating greatly on um, you know not slipping and a flash of red caught my eye and I was already quite grumpy actually at this point because of being moved on so many times and I looked up and I saw about 20 Inca men staring at me. They had the red cloaks billowing in the wind. They were holding staffs. And I just thought, that's all I need now. Some cheesy tourist, you know, dress up thing. I suppose there's going to be somebody at the bottom of the steps wanting to take my photo with an Inca. And so, and then I, something just made me look up again and, and look at them more closely. And they were looking at me with great intensity. And then 
almost to my horror, I noticed that they were fading in and out, like on an old-fashioned television, you know. And they all disappeared one by one, leaving um, one golden Inca completely covered in golden armor at the foot of the stairs and another one in the red cloak and the plateau below him. And I just didn't know what to do really and so I got to the bottom of the stairs and I looked at the the tour guide and it it was obvious to me that he couldn't see them and he just sort of said goodbye and and ran off and and I started to shake I was really really scared and I, I didn't know who this sort of shiny man was but the power coming from him was immense and he was just staring at me black eyes completely intense and so I just thought well I'm just going to have to meet his stare and I stood what I thought was a respectful distance away from him and the intensity of our two stares together if you like formed this blue ball of electricity between us that was sort of fizzing and crackling with static and I just I must be dreaming and I was actually feeling around me for my quilt and then I was like, no, no quilts. And I was pinching myself to see if I could feel it. And I could definitely feel it. And I thought, well, I don't know what this is, but, you know, I just have to wait. And I suppose something's going to happen. And all of a sudden, his arm shot out and he pointed at me and he said, you will follow this path and we will help you. And I was just stunned. And then he pointed to the other Inca. So I went down to him and stood quite a lot closer to him, and he ended up grabbing me by the throat, pulled something out of my throat, threw it down into the river valley below, and then just pointed to the stairs as if to say, you can go now. And there were stairs down the side of the mountain, and again, you know, slippery and a bit scary, so carefully I went down the stairs, and as I went down, a little stone, a pointy stone, pressed, you know, sharply into the bottom of my foot. I'm really hurt, like the arch of my foot where it's really tender. And I uh, I looked down because I thought, well, hang on a minute. I've got, you know, my walking boots on. How has this happened? And when I looked down, I had funny little black Inca boots on, which I suppose looking back was a sign to say that I'd been there before. And... And all of a sudden, the wind just came up from the river valley, and it was so strong, it just plastered me to the side of the mountain, so I could barely breathe, whipped me around a bit. And um, and then, as soon as it started, it just stopped, died down, and I just had this feeling of, like, you've, you've got what you, you came for, you can go now. And I was just stunned, you know, I just ended up sort of lying on the grass, unable to take it all in and uh, but a friend of mine had seen me um and she said i don't know what was going on up there she said but it looked really powerful and i said oh it was and but the difficulty i had was you know then a knowing what had happened to me because i had no clue i didn't know if this man was a chief or a king or what i was supposed to do with it um and also when i got back to the uk you know work um, and I, and even though I didn't understand it, I knew that whoever it was had gone to a lot of effort to be seen by me, and that I just had this gut feeling like not to ignore 
the words, apart from anything else, I'd spent, you know, decades trying to find my path and I'd just been told what to do. Um, so in there, in the end, I um, asked for time off unpaid from work and they said, no, um, you can't. And so I had a six-figure salary that I'd worked very, very hard for, lots of exams and things. And... Um, I just thought, well, I just have to do it. I just have to leap into the unknown and and do it and um, just gave up my job and um, started my training and almost immediately uh, people came. You know, I really, I, I had no idea how people find, found me, but over the course of the years, you know, that the Inca, he was true to his word, you know, he really has helped me and um, it was, you know, just it was two years later, it took me two years to read a book and to find out that what had happened to me was called an estrella, which is a Spanish word for star, and that it was the common way for a shaman or the traditional way for a shaman to be called to the path. So it was quite an experience. Wow, well, that was a, a way to step out in life again. That's really different. Uh, yeah. So your book, your book that you wrote. Tell us something about your book. It's called A Healer of Souls. Yeah. Um, well, I was asked to write a book. I met. Um, some years down the line, I met a, a literary agent, and she just said, you've got to write about this. You've got to write about your story. You've got to write about, you know, your work and, and the benefits of shamanic healing because not many people understand it. And and I was like, okay. And I, and I always wanted to write a book. I mean, I, I consumed 18 books at a, a sitting, you know, trying to find some answers and some clues. And so... It had always been a wish of mine to to write a book that would help people on their sort of the journey through life, and I initially I thought about just putting down the wisdom of the teachings and the philosophy I suppose that I'd gained over the years of you know not a particularly easy journey myself, and and then somebody said oh I really like to read about you know your client stories. And so I put those in, and then one day I was working, and, and this lady started crying, and she said, I can't tell you about my stuff. You know, she'd been there for ages. She'd had a cup of tea. She was sitting on the sofa. She was all chatting, and I thought, when is she going to start saying something? When is she going to start saying, you know, talking about why she's here? And I said to her, look, this is very nice, but you're actually here for a healing session. And she said, I can't tell you. I can't tell you. And she was crying. And I said, why can't you tell me? And she said, because you're too perfect. I said, I'm not perfect. And she said, no, no, you are. And I said, no, no, seriously, I'm not. And all of a sudden I realized that I had to write about my story and where I'd fallen down and what I'd learned relevant to each chapter of the book. So I basically based each chapter of the book on one of the common themes that clients come to see me about so then each chapter is divided into three. So there's um, memory, if you like, from um, my life. There's client case studies, uh, maybe different aspects of 
uh, of the experience of the chapter, if you like, but all all relevant. And then there's kind of guidance notes, spiritual notes, call them what you will, at the end. So it's intended for people to, as a guide, really, as a helping hand, as the book says, on a, on their journey through life. In writing your book, did what was <clears throat> what surprised you about the book when you were writing it that you didn't anticipate? Um, how hideous it would be! <laughs> I think um, I initially had a contract from a publisher in America, and I think I signed it in the would it be the June. In, no, in the July, in the August, uh, my father phoned me and told me he'd been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And in the September, uh, my mother phoned me and told me my brother had some terrible um, organ-eating disease and, and might die. So out of my four-member family, you know, two two members were at risk. And... It really, and also I was seeing three people a day, and I see them for a good couple of hours each. Um, and I, I think at the time I was doing six or seven days a week, and and then starting to write the book at midnight. And then I had all of the worry about my father and the phone calls and the hospital visits and everything else. And it just became very very hard so i'd always had an image of me writing this book in a lovely office overlooking my garden and everything all being lovely and the reality was you know you're sort of sitting down at midnight um writing it squashed in the back bedroom and also it wrote itself it, it had its own voice it it wasn't how i thought it would be it, it started to be written very simply um and in the end, I just thought, well, I'm just going to accept it, you know. And my intention was always that uh, it, it's a book for the general public. There are so many fabulous books on shamanism. Um, Alberto books particularly are excellent. Um, and I just thought that I don't need to add to that. You know, this is this is my book. It's about my philosophy, my life. And my philosophy is very closely aligned to the shamanic philosophy. So that hopefully has all come through in the, in the book. But I really wanted it to be something that was available, you know, to the man in the street that, that, that they could understand. And most of all, I think I wanted people to recognize that when trauma happens to us, and it really happens to everybody at some point that this doesn't need to be something that we drag with us through our lives it doesn't need to be this massive burden it can be healed and it can be honored and it can be left behind you know acknowledge is part of our journey but we don't have to carry it with us because then everything in life becomes so much more difficult so i've tried to use lots of case studies in the book that hopefully will allow people to see that um, these things happen. They will happen for a reason. Our soul's always trying to get us to a certain place in life to fulfill the, the destiny that we've decided that we wanted to achieve in this lifetime. And we have to take a different vantage point. We have to look at the things that have happened to us 
differently. So shamanically, we call it looking from an eagle perspective. So you're rising above it like a spiritual perspective. You know, you're looking at the bigger picture. Why has these things happened? They haven't happened to punish me. They've happened to get me to learn something, to get me to grow as an individual, to get me to break a, a pattern. So, yes, it, you know, it was a challenge to write the book, um, but I think that most authors would probably agree with that, and it's like you have to live through it. You have to kind of, you have to do everything that you say in the book. And I've always been very keen on that myself. Um, I don't think, you know, I could ever tell a client to do something I wouldn't be willing to do myself. So uh, it's it's out tomorrow on Amazon in the U.S., and it's uh, Amazon in the U.K. released it early, and it's had some really, really lovely reviews and it's actually made the i think it's been nearly six years since i started it it's made all the effort absolutely worthwhile because people are saying it's changing my life it's woken me up i want to live my life differently i want to go on a spiritual path i want to heal my past so it's absolutely you know doing what i hoped it would do which is wonderful i didn't realize it uh was coming out tomorrow, so what an uh, excellent opportunity for us to have you on today. Yes, perfect, isn't it? <laughs> you're, you're well, when, John, when, yeah, when, uh, so when you're saying that, that things are kind of um, uh, up in your face <laughs> and, you're, and you feel as though you're stuck in a situation, so is when you just... In other words, you need to peer at it and 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 release it in some fashion. And and with the work that you do, you're able to help people release more quickly. Yes. So one of the things that I love about shamanic healing is that I'm, I suppose, an impatient person, <laughs> and I I quite like speed. You know, I like things to be. I I just I like everything to be fast <laughs> i'm just naturally impatient and um i think that you know many people can go for therapy and go for years and years and they they don't actually leave their thing behind and it's important to recognize that when something happens to us let's say use the example of sexual abuse if somebody abuses us sexually that happens to us on every level of our being you know, it happens on the mental level, the emotional level, the physical level, the energetic level, the soul level. And in order to heal that event, all of those levels have to be addressed and they all have to be healed. So it isn't sufficient in in my book to talk about it. And actually talking about it, to me, drives it in deeper. It's about bringing out of the chakras of the energy body the the energy of the event, the blocks in the chakras that hold these sadnesses and traumas to us and physically releasing it. And also, when trauma happens to us, there is a safety mechanism that our soul uses called soul loss. And... It's not a very nice example, but I use it because it's the one that people will, will probably recognize the most. If you ever read about somebody that has been 
attack to rate, they often report, you'll see in the newspapers, you know, they'll say, I, I was looking down upon myself. I saw the whole thing happen from above. And that's because energetically and spiritually they have not wanted to be in their body while that event has taken place, so they'll come out of their body, which we do, you know, naturally anyway. We do it at night, but we'll come out of the body, and then what will happen after the event is they they won't all come back into the body. So the best way of, of, of describing this is if you imagine an orange, and the skin of the orange is the physical body, the segments of the orange, the juicy segments are the aspects of our soul so in a situation like that maybe five of those segments come out of the body but only three of them go back in this is why often after trauma people become numb they appear numb or they maybe look a little bit dead in their eyes and it's important to recognize that that happens as a safety mechanism, so it's a soul looking after itself. It also helps a person to cope because a person isn't going to want to remember that whole thing fully. They're not going to want to deal with it properly. They're going to need to heal. And so, But when that healing is done, when that event is cleared from all of the aspects of that individual, then in order to bring that person back to wholeness, to heal that fracturing, if you like, those segments, juicy segments full of, you know, character and personality and also energy, they have to be brought back and put from where they've gone for safety and put back into the energy body. So the segments are going back into the orange skin. So the orange becomes whole again. Does that make sense? It's quite a difficult thing to explain. Yes, it makes sense. I have a question because I remember I was in a car accident, and mm-hmm. I remember actually leaving my body and seeing my body, you know, go through. Yes. It. Yeah. So, would I have a worry that it didn't all come back? Or, <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest with you, soul loss normally occurs between the age of naught and ten. It's normally at the point when. You know, as children, I remember with my brother, we used to jump off the stairs at home and we'd start on the first stair and the second stair and the third stair and then it'd be like on the fifth and sixth stairs and we'd be just absolutely like leaping off onto this concrete floor and feeling that we were like indestructible. And at some point in childhood, all of a sudden something happens to you that that brings you up short, that makes you realize actually this world that I'm living in you know, if you've been lucky to get to that age without that realization, isn't as safe as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And at that point, soul loss can occur. And then what tends to happen is there's a repeating pattern of loss through life. So, yes, it's quite likely in um, in a car accident because obviously... You, you don't actually know if your life's in danger or not. It takes us a while, doesn't it, to figure out, oh, is my head still on? Am I bleeding? Yeah. Are my legs okay? You know. So whenever there's a threat to our lives, of course, you know, it would be quite common for soul loss to occur at that point. And um, as in, you know, sometimes even people can have a, just a massive disappointment, like a, you know, a, a job loss, um, being 
dumped by somebody that you completely loved and adored, a divorce, you know, any kind of major disappointments, anything that really, really knocks you, tends to be, you know, more severe things. But we can, you know, lose bits of ourselves. Our soul is quite fragile, actually, um, a bit like glass, you know. So it will protect itself, but it's never really gone. It's just gone to safer places. Also, what I've found in my work is not only do soul parts go, but we also get rid of aspects of ourselves that we feel that we cannot have anymore. So uh, I call them, you know, shadow aspects. And shadow, but shadow doesn't mean that they're dark. So it could be, for example, I have a client whose um, father, sorry, their brother stole the family's money from the business, caused the father to become very ill. And then this uh, person thought that they would have to really step up to the plate and they've got to save this business and save the family and they'd actually put into shadow the part of themselves that that knew how to rest and relax and so we identify parts of ourselves and go i can't have you anymore and then they go into into shadow and then that can also cause us problems in life so eventually this lady came to me and she's like i just can't relax you know, but she'd actually got rid of that ability in herself to do that. So we're quite good at getting rid of these bits of ourselves. Either, you know, they run away through trauma or we physically send them away. And there can be aspects of self that we just absolutely deny. One of them, which is very common for people on the spiritual path, is um, the angry self. People tend to think, Oh, well, if I'm, you know, a spiritual person, I can't be angry or I shouldn't be angry. And they get that and they put it behind a, a big door and then they put planks over the door and chains over the door and try and keep it all locked away. And this part gets angrier and angrier and angrier behind the door because it's about recognizing that all parts of ourselves need to be loved and honored and, and accepted. Yeah. Well, personally, yeah? when I become angry then you i feel guilty afterwards so that was not <laughs> no but i mean anger is a normal human emotion and when you start to deny it then you're actually causing huge problems for yourself people push it down they you know physically push it down into their bodies and then illness can start there you know so no emotion is good or bad it's just an, an energy it's just energy, emotion, and all emotions have to be honored and all emotions have a place. And if you're angry about something, then you've got a right to say, this is making me really angry. The danger comes is when you stuff it down and stuff it down and stuff it down. I think you've heard these stories where, say, husbands have been henpecked by wives for years and they just take it and take it and take it and one day they do something terrible, you know? And it's about, you have to deal with these things, you have to acknowledge these things and these emotions at the time. And and then then things are easier, then you haven't got aspects of yourself behind great big doors. You know, because that's actually when they become dangerous. As a human being, we have all of the human archetypes within us, and they all need to be 
acknowledged and loved and accepted, and then they're no danger. But as soon as you go, oh, I know I'm not going to be like this, I could never do that, then you're starting to cause problems for yourself. So really the, the biggest problem I see, because I also work as a spiritual teacher, is people trying to think that I must get rid of these bits of myself that are angry, that are negative, because then I'm not a spiritual person. But we're, everything we do is spiritual. We are spirit in a human body. So really it's about acknowledging and and. Anger on the healing scale is actually right up there. I mean, people, you know, come to me and then they go, oh, I've had terrible anger coming up. And I go, that's great. Because in order to be angry, you've actually got to have something about you. You've got to have some self-identification, some self-worth. The danger is when somebody's completely, um, you know, downtrodden and in a victim place, in a passive place, and people treat them terribly and they do... They just don't get it. They don't feel anything about it. They don't react to it. So actually for somebody to be ang- angry, that's quite a good sign that they're on the road to healing. So is it often that people don't know their shadow self? I mean, do you have to work with them so that they can find it? Yeah. I mean, some aspects have been you know, put away into shadow um, even in past lives. Um, or... Even, um, say, an example is play is often, the ability to play is often put into shadow. I mean, if you've got uh, in a situation where a person hasn't had particularly good um, parenting and they're told, oh, no, don't make a noise, um, children should be seen and not heard, um, you're distracting me, you're disturbing me, go away, be quiet, um, you're such a bother, you know, and they will start to really shrink down inside themselves and then they'll get rid of that exuberant childish noisy playfulness and then they're often in situations where they've got their own children and they don't know how to play with them because they've locked down and locked away that aspect of themselves so often when that aspect is released and loved and returned if you like um to the whole then people go oh yeah i can play with my children now you know so it's often you know we, we do you know we do do these things to ourselves and it's about recognizing that we, we just need to get all of those aspects back all of the parts of us they need to be back inside us and they all need to be loved so for me i could say um and i have in the past hated the fact that i am impatient um and when I do that, I'm disowning a part of myself, which is not good. So now I've learned better, I know, I know better. And I take that part and I kind of go, well, this is a part of me and it's part of who I am. And pretty much there's not much that's going to change that. But if I acknowledge it and if I honor it as part of myself and go, okay, well, this is not perfect, but this is you know, part of who you are, then what I can do is I can use that loving relationship with that aspect of myself to be more patient and to slow down. But so just, more just I just say something I was gonna say just because you have some anger doesn't mean you go spouting off. So uh you know, is is it something that you can say, Okay, I'm angry and you can work with it yourself. You don't have to Yeah, acknowledge it. Up. 
Yeah, that you don't yeah. have to spout off to someone else um, to be able to release. Um, no, but generally what we do is we get rid of the part of us, ourselves that is angry and then that then causes problems because when an aspect of ourselves goes into shadow, what happens is that the universe then has to bring us or as a mirror that reflected aspect. So then we'll start to find that everybody that we meet is angry. Mm. So the other thing I teach is that Everything in the external world, including the external world, is a reflection of us. So people would say to me, oh, my boyfriend's really angry, or my you know, my boss is always really angry, and uh, my friends have started to be angry. And it's like the reflection, if you imagine that they are the film projector, and the other people are the screens. So, so with it's, your aspect of being impatient, the universe sends you a lot of things to be patient about. <laughs> No, to be impatient about. Impatient. I mean, it's the same thing. It's a mirror, so it's the same thing. So it'll send me reasons that's things that are going to make me more impatient. But when I take this part of me that's impatient out, and I love it, and I honour it as part of myself, and it's back where it belongs, then the universe drops then down those signs because it doesn't need to keep showing me. Oh, there's an aspect of you. In shadow, and what people don't understand is the universe all the time is actually trying to help you. So, if you're angry, angry about something someone's doing, mm-hmm. um, how would you bring it out without harming the other person or hurting the other person's feelings? Well, you you state it from your point of view. So you say this m- makes me feel this way and what you're doing then is you're taking responsibility for your feelings and you're expressing your feelings you don't say when you do this it makes me feel you just say I'm feeling like this this is how I'm feeling and also if somebody's really doing something to upset you you tell them and the sooner you tell them you know if it can be done then in there in a calm way, then it's much easier than bottling it up and all of a sudden, you know, it's like the whole toothpaste thing, isn't it, in marriages when the husband does something to make you angry and you don't say anything and it does something else to make you angry and you don't say anything. And all of a sudden one day he leaves the toilet seat up or the top of the toothpaste and you go nuts. (laughs) (laughs) It's much easier. Yeah, because these things then start to build like a volcano. And this is heavy energy, you know, that we're sort of stockpiling inside of us. I remember having um, a patient, a cancer patient once, and she had a huge, huge tumor. It was like the size of a football in her bladder area. And she'd left it a long time. She'd had my card for about a year, and I had to say to her, look, you know, that I'll do my best. But when I spoke to her, she told me that her son had been driving, and they lived in a very small village, and a little girl had run out of her house in front of his car, and and she died. And as a result of that, the whole village had sent her to what's called Coventry. They refused to speak to her. And... And I said, so what did you do with that? 
and with her hand she showed me she said oh I just pushed it down I pushed it down and I said well look where your hand is and the hand was where this huge tumor was so a lot of illness can be caused in the body by holding negative energy in the energy field the energy field is or, or aura as we call it is beautiful lovely light bubble of protection that is supposed to feed our physical body with good stuff with light energy and then what what happens with trauma is you know these things if you imagine then there's like big um black blobs in our energy field and then not only is it not feeding us with nice energy our physical body is using energy to keep it away from the physical because when it hits the physical then there'll be a physical occurrence a disease and illness in that area so it's about getting that energy that heavy energy out of the energy field and then the person feels lighter they've got more energy because their energy feels lighter it's feeding them with good energy and also they're not using all their energy to keep that stuff away so if possible, it's important as we go through life not to start stockpiling stuff. And if we have resentments towards people or experiences, um, we we deal with them. We get healing, you know, for them. Some people come to me for healing, and they you can tell that they're like ashamed to to come along. I mean, it happens very infrequently, but every now and then I see it. And I say, why are you feeling bad about being here? And they go, well, I shouldn't be here. I should, I should be able to just do everything myself. And it's ridiculous. We can't. We all need help. You know, I, you know, know a lot of stuff, but I will go to somebody else if I've got something that needs working on. We can't do everything ourselves. Well, I, I, know, it, I know that uh, your time is almost up. So what I want to do is give out your website so people can contact you because you can actually work. Um, with yes, clients all over the world, yes. So yes. you want to get out your website? Yes, the website is uk, And the book is A Healer of Souls, and that's now out on Amazon. So we'll put your... Uh, website up on our website so if people are driving and listening to this and can't write it down uh, they can go on the com and get your website but your website um, has so much nice information and you have a healing blog yes www.healingblog.co.uk and there's lots of different articles and there's also some guest articles on there as well and if anybody has any feedback, I'd love to receive it. If anybody wants me to write about anything in particular, then, uh, again, get in touch with me, and I'll, I'll happily do that. Oh, we might have you write a little article for our website. That'd be nice. Absolutely. So. I'd love to. Well, thank you, Don, for being with us. I know you are off to a wonderful dinner tonight. So Christmas dinner, yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting me onto the show. It's been lovely to talk to you. Oh, you're welcome. And uh, we've been talking to Don Paul, P-A-U-L. So if people want to look your, you up on uh, the Internet, they can just go on Don, D-A-W-N, Paul, P-A-U-L. So, so thank you and have a great evening. 
Thank you so much.